you look in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. In fact, let's fill this, this house here with the word of God as we read the same words from the screens. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Let's read it out loud, out loud, that out loud part, okay? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen to Jesus. He's talking to covenant people. And he's saying, this is my desire, and it has been all along. I want you to ask so that you receive. I want you to seek so that you find. I want you to knock so it will be open. Because this is how it works in God's kingdom. This is his design and his desire. He didn't make these promises to us so that they sound good and we can just be kind of pumped up. But he said, no, these promises aren't just to fill pages, you know, fill pages in the book, but these promises are for you. And I want you to receive them. And, I, and then he gives an illustration. He says, listen, you people know this. Like, humanity, you kind of mess things up, and even sometimes you have bad intentions. But if your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I'm starving. I need a sandwich. Does he make a, a, a scorpion, you know, subway for him or something like that? Does he feed him that? Does he say, when your kid comes and asks for something, does he give him, you know, instead of something good, does he give him a, a punch in the nose? No. He gives him good. The answer is no. He gives him good gifts. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? How much more? This is what he's saying. This is what God is like. Now, there are people who do those things that, that, that uh, give bad gifts, but he said, your father in heaven, he's nothing like that. He's nothing like that. But notice this. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask, right? Not to those who think about it, not even just to those who need it or want it. Some people say, if God is so good, why doesn't he address all these needs and help these people who have these needs over here? Because the Bible shows us God doesn't simply respond to need. God responds when people ask, and they ask in faith. And so there's a lot of needs that go unmet because there's a lot of prayers that, that go unspoken. And Jesus is saying, I want you to ask. This is how God works. And so today I want to walk you through some scripture just to show you the process this is what God says from the very beginning. And so it hasn't changed, and it still works this way today. God answers because he's a covenant-keeping God. Some people would say, well, you know, you can't expect God just to, to answer and, and do all these things here. You can't twist his arm. What kind of leverage do you think you have with God to make him do things? Uh, my question for you would be, whoever told you that God's arm needs to be twisted? Why would you think that you, could, you would need to twist God's arm to do for you what he said, I want to do for you? What makes you think that he has to be manipulated or pressured into doing something? Of course we have no leverage with God in that sense. Of course we have no power over him. 
But he's the one who's obligated himself. He said, I've made you these great and precious promises, and if you'll call on me, I'll answer you, and I'll keep my word. And I know that sounds good for me to say it, but let's look at what God said. Let's look at what God said. In Numbers 23, verse 19, he says to his people, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God's not like people who at first say things with good intentions, but then change their mind. When God says something, he doesn't come up with a better idea or a different idea later. When he says that he'll do something, he'll do it. He's not like man to lie. He keeps his word. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says of God that he cannot lie. He made promises before time began, and he intends to keep them. It's impossible for God to lie. Sometimes people say, can God do anything? Is anything impossible for God? Yes, it is impossible for God to lie. He cannot do it. It's not in his nature. It would violate his very nature and who he is. God cannot lie. He wouldn't try it, but he couldn't if he did. He is not a man who, who lies or changes his mind like that. He says it and he'll do it. And, and throughout the scripture, we have precedence that when people call upon their God, when they call upon the God who's made a covenant with us, that God says, oh yeah, you, you're bringing that up and I swore to keep my word, I'm gonna answer you. And so let me walk through some of these uh, scriptures with you. And this is important because we need to know that God keeps his word. Because there's scriptures like 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's important about that? Notice that it says that he's faithful and just. It doesn't say that he's gracious and merciful. We know God is gracious and merciful, but the scripture right here says he's faithful and just to do it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means is if we do it, he'll always do it. If he was not to forgive, if he was to not cleanse us, then that would make him unfaithful and unjust. And that would mean he's breaking his word. So we can see how important it is for God to keep his word because our very forgiveness depends on it and so much more. There are people in the Bible that I want to highlight to you and their situation, and you might see that some of these apply to you. For example, when the children of Israel, God's covenant people, they found themselves in bondage, in slavery, and they were there for, for, for over 300 years. And the Bible says that they began to call out to God. Look at this in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 23. It says, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And the cry, their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Man, things were so tough that they realized nothing is going to turn around for us and they began to, unless God helps. So they began to cry out to God. And verse 24 says, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his, what? His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God heard their prayers and he remembered or called to mind his covenant. I don't know how long they were in bondage before they started to cry out. But it wasn't until they started to cry out that God started doing something. Now, they already had covenant with God, 
but they weren't asking him for the deliverance. But when they did, God heard and called to mind, I made these guys promises that I'm going to bring them into a good land, that I'm, I'm going to be their, their defense, that I will bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. And right now someone's cursing them. And God calls to mind the covenant. Remember, we have an advantage because we have a covenant. They, these guys weren't able to overcome politically. They weren't able to overcome physically. They had nothing. They had no leverage. They had no way to change their situation. So they called out to God and God heard them. In verse 25, it says, and God looked upon the children of Israel and he acknowledged them. Now, look, listen to that. God looks at them and he says, I hear you and I'm gonna go to work. I don't know how long they continued to pray, but in their eyes and probably their situation, they didn't see change happen right away. But when you continue to read, you realize that God wasn't ignoring them. God was at work on their behalf. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and in the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. This is important because sometimes we'll pray to God and we don't see the answer. We don't see him working, but it doesn't mean that he's not at work, maybe on the backside of the mountain in the desert somewhere. Maybe it doesn't look like it's changing for you, but it's possible that God is raising up the agents of change over here to work on your behalf. Why is that? Because you're on covenant with God and you call on his name. You cry out to him. Now, keep reading in, in verse six. It says, God starts talking to Moses and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God doesn't bring that up just to say, hey, Moses, I know about you know, your lineage and I know, you know where you come from. But God is bringing this up because he's saying, I made a covenant with your people. That's why he says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. God is not aloof. He is not distant from your pain and your sorrows. In fact, what's really interesting here is he says, I know their sorrows. Later on, Jesus is referred to as a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with our grief. He carried our sorrows himself. And that's how it's always worked. It, it, it's, really, it's really interesting because I, I've said this to you several times, but in the Old Testament, Christ is concealed. In the New Testament, Christ is revealed. But right here, we see this picture of God relating to his people, relating to their bondage. And he says, I know that intimately. I personally know what it feels like. I feel your pain. I'm carrying that with you. So he says, I know their sorrows, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good land, a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, everywhere you step, your feet are sticky. There's just honey. No, that's not what it means. But nevertheless, he said, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Cellulites and the Jebusites. And some of you guys are, I don't want to go into the land of the Cellulites. I want to get out of that land. No, he didn't say that. Sometimes my, my Bible, my eyes get funny. Verse 9, it says, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. 
their cry, they have called upon me, and now I must answer. He said, come now, therefore, and I'll send you to the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I will send you. And in the same way that God was at work in the life of Moses, because his people were praying and calling upon the God of the covenant, and God said, I'm sending you to bring them out. And that same way, God is sending his word to you and me today, saying, I am a covenant-keeping God. I hear your prayers, and I'm here to set you free today. Today, God is sending us that message. Amen? So God answers the prayer of those who are in bondage. And I know that I've talked to a lot of Christians who find themselves stuck in a rut. They sometimes are dealing with addictions. They're stuck in, in, in sins and patterns, and, and they don't want to be there. And this is just how sin works and bondage works. It gets, its intention is to get, get God's people stuck somewhere. But when you call upon God, you need to know this, that God, who's made a covenant with you, hears you, and he is at work to set you free, and God will bring you out. God will bring you freedom. Don't give up. Don't give up and think that God doesn't hear you. These guys had no leverage with God. They didn't have to twist his arm. All they needed to do is call upon his name, and God remembers, hey, I've got a covenant with you. I'm the one that said, I'll deliver you out of bondage. God's the one who said that. And he says the same thing to you. And why would God do such a thing? Why would God hear you answer your prayers? Why would he deliver you out of bondage? Why would he bring you into this promised land? Same reason why he did it for them. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So you need to, you need to be convinced of this right here. Verse 6 through 9, it says, God speaks to his people and he says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. God says to, to you, I've chosen you. You're not here by accident. You didn't come to somebody else's church to hear about their religion. It wasn't mom and dad's. It wasn't your tradition, but it's because I called you by name and appointed you even today to hear this message. You're a special treasure to me. The Lord is saying that to each and every one of us, even when we don't feel like a special treasure. And then verse 7, it says, The Lord didn't set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than other people's. For you were the least of all the people's. Why did he choose them? Not because of their ability, not because of their background, not because of what they brought to the table. But verse 8, it says, But because the Lord loves you. God will hear you, he'll answer your prayer, he'll bring you out of bondage and into, into victory, into deliverance. Why? Because he loves you. And not only that, because he would keep the oath. What's that? You remember right there? God swears. God made promises and he, he swore an oath. He swore an oath and he said, I'm gonna do these things for you because I keep my promise, I keep my oath, I keep my covenant he said, this is the Lord speaking. I do this because I love you, and I keep my oath that I swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy 
for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Sometimes we look at that and we think, God, I know that you're a covenant-keeping God, but, but maybe I'm, I'm like past the expiration date here. Like maybe you made promises back then, but, but the statute of limitations, like I've exceeded those. And it's not true at all because listen to what he said, I keep my covenant for a thousand generations. Now at the time between, between Abraham's day and, and uh, David's day and then to Jesus' day, King, King David and, and, and then to Jesus, I think there was like 14 generations and then another 14 and, and maybe I missed another 14 in there. So maybe it's, it's 28 or, or, or uh, 42 or somewhere around there, generations, nevertheless, uh, we're only into the hundreds of generations since, since God said this. And so Jesus, God said, but I keep it for thousands of generations. And some of us would say, oh, that's great, God, but I violated the covenant so bad. I've gone against it and I haven't kept your commandments and I haven't followed you. I've given you my heart and I've taken it back. And there's times where I've, I've basically, I know it's just like I've, I've rejected you and spit in your face. And yet, not only does he say, I keep my covenant, but he said, I also keep, keep mercy. I keep mercy for a thousand generations. Now, mercy, what's so important about that is, is mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, in the covenant, God says, I'm giving you all this stuff that you don't deserve, but there's other things like judgment and such that we do deserve. But God said, but I keep mercy. And because of my mercy, though you've blown it a thousand times, a thousand times there, my mercy will keep you from getting those things you don't want <laughs> that you do deserve. He keeps mercy. How many of you guys are thankful for mercy? I need mercy in my life. God answers people that are in bondage when they call on his name. He's a covenant-keeping God. God answers people in the midst of battles. Maybe some of you are struggling with some things. Man, it's like, I keep battling this and dealing with it, and we need to get it over with. There's a story in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 18, talking about the children of Israel, called certain tribes, and it says, the sons of Reuben and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had 42,760 valiant men. Now, these men were able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow, and they were skillful in war, and they went to war. Verse 19, they made war with the Hagrites, Jeter, Naphish, and Nodab. I'm like, if I knew some people like that, I'd probably go to battle too. Like, man, get a real name, right? Nodab, what? Nevertheless, they... You know, we're glad they wiped him out, get rid of these guys. Maybe, you know, no one goes by those names now. Maybe Jeter, Derek Jeter or something like that. Get rid of those guys. Anyways, verse 20 says, And they were helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them. Why is that? For they cried out to God in the battle. They cried out to God in the battle. These were men of war who knew how, how to fight. And yet in the midst of war, they cried out to God in, in the battle. And what did God do? Open screen test. He heeded their prayer, right? He heeded their prayer. So what that tells me is it's possible that though they're in covenant with God and they're in the midst of battle, that they might have lost that battle had they not prayed and asked. God heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. God's telling you to ask. Stop fighting that battle on your own. Sometimes things, we find situations, they turn the, the tide turns against us. It doesn't go how we, we expect it. You know what you need to do? You need to stop relying on your own strength and start praying and start, start looking to the Lord. God will heed your prayer. He'll listen to you. 
when you put your trust in him. They, God delivered the enemy into their hand. They had victory. God will give you victory when you call out him. Why is that? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. Psalm 86, 7 says, In the day of my trouble, I'll call upon you, for you'll answer me. Jeremiah 33 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. This is not man's idea. This is not your pastor's words to you. This is God saying it. He says, Call to me. I'll answer you. I will answer you. This is your advantage. When we talk about having a covenant advantage, we have a God who knows everything, who will answer the people who know almost nothing. Why would we try to figure things out in our own ability and not look to the Lord? Now, thank God for Google, but there's some things Google just can't answer for you. As much as it knows, it doesn't know everything. God knows everything, and he can show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Who should I date? Who should I marry? Where should I move? Should I buy this house? Should I go to this school? Should I take this job? Should I hang out with those people? Should I do this or that? God knows everything. And you can call on him and he'll answer you. He'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. But he knows them and he wants to show it to you. God answers people in the midst of a battle. Whatever it is that you are fighting, Call to God in the midst of that. Don't rely on your own strength. He's a covenant-keeping God. In 2 Kings chapter 20, God answers the prayer of somebody who is sick and near death. In fact, that's what it says about Hezekiah. It says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. (laughs) And Isaiah, the, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And I love how he says that. He said, just in case you don't get what you shall die means, it means you shall not live. (laughs) You're going to die. What do you mean? Can you be more clear? You shall not live. (laughs) Sometimes people say, well, what did did he die from? What did this person die from? I I like to say, they stopped breathing. Because that's pretty much (laughs) it. You love those dad jokes, right? (laughs) He's shaking his head. Oh, he's so dumb. So dumb. (laughs) Like, like. Like the number one cause of death is people stop breathing. You get it. Anyways, um, so the prophet comes and tells the king this, Hezekiah. He said, he said your days are, are, are over. You, you're sick and you're going to die. So you need to get your house in order. And God is acknowledging this. By the way, God isn't saying, I put the sickness on you or I'm going to kill you or there's nothing you can do. But God says, yeah, you're sick and you're going to die. This is what's going to happen to you. But what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah turns his face toward the wall, and he prays to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. What did he do? He said, God, I've given you my life. I've given you my life. And he was repenting. He's bringing his heart before the Lord, saying, God, I need you right now. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him. Before he even got out of the house and out of the yard, God said, oh, I heard this guy's prayer. His maybe three-sentence prayer right there. God heard it and went into action right there. And, And he said, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you'll go up to the house of the Lord. I'll add to your days 15 years. I'll deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. 
and I'll deliver this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. What is God saying? He said, the sake of my servant David. That's covenant talk right there because God's in covenant with David. He said, you're never going to cease to have a man from your descendants sit on the throne. And so when here's a guy who is sick near death and he calls upon the Lord and the Lord answers. This is, this is uh, crucial for us to get because we wrestle with the question of, is it God's will to heal? Well, even in a situation when God said, you're about to die from the sickness, when he called out to the Lord, God said, I've heard you and I'll heal you. And a lot of times we can try to reason things away based on experiences, based on other people's opinions, or based on you know, certain teaching and so forth. But when we question God's will, we got to go back to the book. And we got to go back and find out, well, how did God respond to sick people when they crawled out to him and asked for healing? Look at the life of Jesus, for example, and let that be your answer and your example. You won't see Jesus going and thinking, you know what? I know you're asking, but hey, I I ran out of healing. (laughs) You know, you'll have to come back maybe some other time when I feel like it. You'll never see Jesus saying, you know what, if, if you don't die right now while you're really believing me, 10 years from now, you're going to turn your heart away from me and not serve me and then go to hell. So I better let you die right now. But that's what people, we try to reason things away because we don't understand stuff. Listen, there's a lot of things I don't understand, and I don't always know why something didn't happen or why things do happen, but I've got to go with what God said. Because at the end of the day, man, I'm staking my eternity on, on the fact that he is truthful when he said he'll forgive me my sins. So everything else he said, I'm believing that too. I, and, and, and I'll tell you this, that uh, if, if there are things that, I, I don't, that don't make sense to me and don't line up with his word, I'm going to say, let God be true and every man a liar. God, I may not understand everything, but I believe your word says this right here. And that's the stand I'm going to take. And, and that's what we see in the, with our covenant God is that he's made promises to you and it's not our idea, it's his. He says, call out to me and he heals somebody who is sick. How long should you pray? What if you've been praying for a while? Listen, you only need to pray and believe God until you're healed. Yes, and then after that, you don't need to pray and believe God for that healing anymore. You just pray and believe God for health, right? Oh, I get what you're saying, right? You know, how long do we fight? We fight till we win. We don't have nine innings, right? Man, I don't care if we're down five games to three in the World Series. We just played an extra game. Guess what? We're going to keep on playing. We're going to keep on playing. 108 years or whatever for the Cubs to get their victory, right? We will keep believing God. We will keep believing God for victory in our lives and healing. God answers somebody who is enslaved. He, he answers those who are uh, sick and near death. He answers those who are, are fighting battles. God answers those who are in financial hardship, those who have covenant with him. Remember the story of Isaac, Abraham's kid. God made a covenant with Abraham. It says this, now there is a famine in the land in Genesis 26. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. Why would he say that? Because in Egypt, there's no famine. In Egypt, 
Though it's a broken system, he knows how the system works. In Egypt, it's the old life. It's the old way of doing things. It's where you came from. It's the old bondage. And God said, don't you go back to your old place and your old ways right here, even though you're in the midst of famine and nothing seems to be working for anybody, if you'll stick with me, I've made promises to you. He said, you stay in the land which I tell you about. And so, and so Isaac did that. Verse 3 says, dwell in this land, I'll be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands, and I'll perform the oath which I swore to your fa- Abraham, your father. God is not limited to providing or answering us in our lives to only when times are good. A few years back, almost 10 years ago, we were in the midst of a significant economic incline. Maybe it was just on paper, maybe it was false or whatever, but a lot of people were uh, getting wealthy quick, it seemed like, and then it all crashed God is not dependent upon our economy to bless you. He will perform his word and bless you even when everything else is going down. That's what Isaac found. And so Isaac sowed his seed in that land where nothing was producing. And others probably looked at him and thought, you're ridiculous. Don't you know it doesn't work? But God blessed him and God was with him. And in that land... He reaped a hundredfold in that same year while nothing was working for anyone else. Why is this? Because God swore certain things and he brings up the provision and the sustenance as something he swore to keep. And so the Bible says this in verse 13, that the man Isaac began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. This was the Lord's doing in his life because God's a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises, in other words. So I've heard stories from some of you even about some very tough times that you've been in financially, and yet God comes through. Amen? God comes through. He's not limited. Some of you have lost jobs at times, and all of a sudden you look at it and you think, God provided for me. How did he do that? He did it because he's faithful to his covenant. And he keeps his word, and you don't give up on that. God answers people. Last thing I want to talk to you about is, is God answering someone who was challenging demonic authorities. There's this guy in the Bible, he's a prophet named Elijah, and one of the descriptions of Elijah, he's, he's bold, he's courageous, he's kind of out there, though. I think he's one of those people that, that like, you know, I would just imagine him just very intense. And one description of him is Elijah, he was a hairy man too. He was like a hairy man, which I think is just so funny that the Bible points that out. Like, like he probably had like hair on his shoulders and back and, and belly and all this. Like he's a hairy man. I don't know why the Bible says that about him, but it's kind of funny. And um, he, was, he was kind of a, a wild man. He was like one of those people like, man, I think you hear God, but you're weird, right? Like I, I believe God talks to you, but, but man, you're, you're crazy. Well, that's Elijah. And Elijah uh, got to a point where he's like, man, God's people, some of them serve the Lord, but a lot of them are serving false gods. And they're still covenant people with God. God hasn't given up on them, but man, they're in big trouble. And so he says, let's have a showdown to see whose God is the real God. And uh, you get all your prophets of your false gods, and let's meet here. And and then we pick up the story in, in 
1 Kings 18, 24, and he says this, then you call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. And so they do that. And they take the bull which was given to them and they prepare it and the, you know, the sacrifice and they call on the name of Baal, their false god, from morning till, till noon, saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Verse 28 says, so they cried aloud and they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until blood gushed out of them. They're saying, we're sacrificing ourselves for you, Baal. Hear us, you know, answer by fire. It says, when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. These false gods made all these promises, but when it came down to it, they couldn't deliver. And what I love, if you read in the story, that, that Elijah starts to mock them. You know, sometimes we, we need to be sensitive and gracious and generous to people and so forth that when we're dealing with other religions. You know, you don't go and start mocking them. But our God is better, by the way. Our God is better. You know that? He really is, he is better. And Elijah, Elijah um, started, he starts teasing him. And I think, okay, he's kind of uh, this wild guy. But he starts saying, oh, may, cry out louder. Maybe scream a little. Maybe he's, maybe he's hard of hearing. Maybe he's on vacation. And then I love Elijah when he says, maybe he's on the toilet. And he, like, he's busy. Like, it, like the Bible says, says that. Like that Elijah, I think, Elijah, either you used to be a youth pastor before you were a prophet or you just love junior high humor, right? Like potty humor is always funny in any situation, even when you're determining who the real God is, right? He brings it up and I just think, I love the Bible. I love how it just brings up the stuff because that's about my level of humor half the time. And, um, and, and he really does bring that up. You got to read that stuff on your own, especially like message version or something like that. So anyways, um, after he mocks them, says in verse 36, look at the difference here. It says, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah came, the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Why is he bringing that up? Why couldn't he have just said, Lord God? Well, he could have. But when he says, Lord God of, Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he's saying, God of the covenant. God of the covenant. Covenant-keeping God. You're the one I'm talking to right now. And he's making this clear to everybody else too. We have an advantage, a covenant advantage. He says, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. And that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Why is he doing all this? He doesn't want to just prove something to somebody, but he wants to see the hearts of people turn back to God. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This confrontation was brought about when Elijah saw an injustice. He saw something that was unrighteous and it brought out this, this holy indignation on the inside of him. He said, this wrong must be righted. And we're going to have a showdown right now. We're going to confront this evil. I say that it's important because on the inside of many of you, 
there are certain injustices in the world that just light you up on the inside. There are certain things, you, you bring up a topic, and, and boy, will that fire you up. It could be things like, some of you, it might be human trafficking. It might be, it might be something like that where you think, man, that right there just, oh, we've got to do something about it. Others of you, it might be, it might be ch- uh, child abuse. It might be kids in the foster system. Uh, it might be de- you know, dealing with orphans or, or elder abuse. It could be some things where white-collar crime. It could be racial inequality. It could be something that just, whatever it is, and it could be any number of things, but you just look at it and you think, that's wrong. And it's not one of those things where you look at it because there's a lot of things that are really bad that are really wrong. And they don't stir you up. And, and it's not that you don't care about them, but it's not, it's not your, 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 your call, that, your passion on the inside. Could be poverty, could be, you know, whatever it is. It, whatever it is. But there's something on the inside of you that stirs up the fire of God on the inside. And you haven't known how to deal with that yet. And you've maybe even put it on the shelf and said, I, I, that's not for me to deal with or maybe or whatever, or we'll let it work its way, itself out. No, that's probably something that God has done on the inside of you. And he's saying, I want you to confront the powers of darkness in this realm. Because it's not just the system that's broken. There's spiritual power behind the system that's broken. And while other people are trying to get others to fight against themselves to fix the broken system with broken gods and broken people, they're not going to solve it and we just divide against ourselves. But when we come before God and say, God, you've put this call, this passion, this fire on the inside of me, God, show that you're God and that you are at work in the midst of this so that ultimately you can turn the hearts of people back to you. Let's correct this. Let, let's, bring, let's bring right to this wrong. Let's, let's bring justice to this injustice. God, at the end of the day, you're the solution for it. When you call upon God, some of you guys, you got that in your heart. I want to challenge you. Get yourself before the Lord. Don't do it the way the world does it. Don't try to fight it in the flesh. You get before the Lord. And then you pray that God surrounds you with like-minded, biblically-minded people who come before God and say, God, here we are. Send us out in the midst of this to confront this. This is how we're gonna change things. This is how we turn things around in our culture. People can fight about it in in the political system. We need good laws. They can fight about it on social media. Guess what? We need to influence that way as well. But that's not what's gonna fix it. It's not man's fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. He'll fight for you. And, and in this situation, Elijah was involved in it, but it was God. And he had this passion on the inside. What's your passion? What is it that fires you up? This is an area where you have an advantage because you can ask God and he'll answer you. There's a lot of other things we could talk about people being under attack. We could talk about healing again and, and deliverance and favor and, and praying for family members. A lot of different things, but I want to close with this last verse. Part of James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Jesus is saying, ask. You have a covenant with God, and God has sworn to keep his promises. We come before God in the name of Jesus. The authority of Jesus, represented by Jesus an ambassador of Jesus. What's on your heart? 
What's the big thing that you're, you need to ask God about? If Jesus was standing in front of you today and says, everyone today who asks receives, what's on your heart? And do you hear that and believe it? Because I'm going to tell you, though he may not be standing before you in the flesh, his words come to us today and said, everyone who asks receives. And by the way, this isn't just today only, but this is something that God's putting in our heart so that we can operate this way ongoing. God, if I look to you, you keep your promise. Lord, your word says this, and that's not happening right there. Lord, I pray that you would change the situation. Lord, send me. Do whatever it takes, right? But God, we're calling on you.